Hebrews says that hope is the anchor for our souls. And hope not being this wishful thinking, but this total certainty that, yes, we do have light and momentary afflictions. We do have suffering now. But whenever we have this certain hope of a truly active God who engages us, then that's a really, really powerful reality whenever they encounter Him in that way because then they don't make a God out of their situation. Then it's not mainly, how do I get out of this situation? It's mainly, how do I know the triune God in this situation today, which is a huge deal because then if He decides to take them out of a certain situation that they're in, no problem, they'll rejoice. If He doesn't, no problem, they'll rejoice. And so I think that that's the importance of hope, not only for them, but for us also every day. We'll hear all the time these kids just off in the woods with other friends. They'll just be singing praises to the Lord. They sing of knowing Christ in their sufferings all the time. And that's one of the sweetness of them knowing Christ and them expressing that through song and through testimony is also one of the great things that they offer the worldwide church. It's not a minor thing that they're offering there. It's a great strengthening to the church. It's a great encouragement to the church. And so for the ones that know Jesus, who he is to them is everything. I see this reality of starting orphanages as something that's it's good, but only good to the degree that it has proper information behind it. Because again, there's Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus that are all starting orphanages everywhere, and it's not redemptive in and of itself. And this eternal gospel message, in with all these works, informs these works in such a way that it gives them a hope-filled eternal significance instead of just a light and momentary type of significance. I really believe this is the heart of Jesus. I really believe that Jesus is the one who sets the blueprint for life. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it's through his very great and precious promises. Well, as uh, as you guys know, we're uh, we're in our Advent series, and uh, one of the things that we're highlighting is that Jesus was the perfect missionary. And over the course of these four weeks, we're bringing in a different um, missionary to come and, and and share with you what what they're doing um, and how God has challenged them, and, and with the hopes that we might be encouraged by them. Um, and so, this is Amber Berger um, with uh, His Voice Global. Um, and so I'm excited about you guys getting an opportunity to, to hear from, uh, from her, a really good friend of ours, um, 
in their ministry is, is amazing. So Amber, uh, Vernon's not able to be here this morning, but why don't you share a little bit about who you guys are and uh, just introduce, introduce us to you. My name is Amber, and that was my husband, Vernon. We have two boys, the one that's crying in the back, Justice and Titus. Justice is two, and Titus is six. And we have a ministry, a nonprofit called um, His Voice Global. We were formerly known as His Voice for Sudan until this year. Um, and we've just switched over to Global. And we um, are members at the Summit Community Church out in O'Fallon. Um, tell us a little bit about how you guys got started um, in Sudan, um, kind of the beginning works of the ministry. Well, honestly, Vernon was a North County born and raised um, boy, and he became a believer uh, when he was 19. And shortly after he became a believer, the Lord just really um, impressed on him that he'd be working with the persecuted church. And that was around 1999, 2000. And um, so he just did a Yahoo search, because <laughs> they didn't have Google back then. And um, he just wrote in persecuted church and Sudan was everywhere. If you did that now, it'd be like North Korea. Or it wouldn't be Sudan anymore. Um, and he, so honestly, he just Googled ministries in Sudan and he called, he cold turkey called a guy in California and said, can I be on your team? They said, sure. <laughs> and so they let him come. Uh, he had to, you know, fly under radar at the time and, um, he did a medical mission there, and we weren't married yet. I was also working in Uganda heavily at the time, and um, so basically, Vern just really loved Sudan. I really loved uh, Uganda, Northern Africa, and um, Vern just kept going on trips. He just kept calling people and saying, can I join your team? And they say yes, which is random. Um, and through that, the Lord built a bunch of relationships, both in the United States and there, that the Lord just went before us and like, every step. I mean, we could never imagine that 10 years later this all would be going on. Um, we had a vision and a desire, but we were thinking, like, you know, we would never see it come to fruition in our lifetime. Uh, we just wanted to be faithful to do it. But the Lord had way gone before us. There were indigenous Sudanese people there that already had that vision and had no means um, to accomplish it. They had the brilliance, and they, they're just so smart. And they, you know, they already had it in their heart to do the orphanages and the widow care, but they just didn't have the financial means and the body of Christ encouraging them to do what they wanted to do. Um, and so through those relationships, we just kept going and coming back here and sharing their vision and our vision here. And people just started giving and the Lord started building orphanages. So. That's awesome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the orphanages in Sudan, how many you have, kind of how they operate. That Great. Type of thing. Um, we work with a church there called um, Evangelical Presbyterian Church. There's no affiliation with the American Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Actually, Bishop just did a bunch of, um, he's our guy there, he just did a bunch of research and church history and he loved the Presbyterian hierarchy and he wanted to be evangelical so we called it that <laughs> and which I think is fantastic um and that church was ripe it was full of leaders that he had trained they had gone from the bush they had 
done, you know, hideout, praying, every story you can think of that you've heard from Africa where they're following in each other's footsteps, praying with every step so they don't step on landmines. That's these people. And they were ready to do something. They just didn't have any um, means. And so we, um, you know, came back here and the Lord blessed with lots of monetary and architects and uh, people that could help them, encourage them. And orphanage um, was birthed out of Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Morobo, Sudan. Um, And it happened so fast. Well, then we saw a need. I mean, we had, um, we turned away hundreds of street children because we only had the facility for about a hundred kids. Um, and we turned away tons of widows because the way we operate is that everyone who is, um, all our employees are orphan or all our, all our employees are widows. And so we also have a couple pastors and farmers that are men, but predominantly they're women who were uh, widowed by the war or by sickness. And, um, and so we had to turn so many families away. It broke our hearts. It broke the hearts of this church. They wanted to continue to provide. And so we came back to the States and <laughs> told that story. And people gave. And a, ne- a second one came went up in Lura, in Lura, Sudan, which is uh, halfway between Morobo and Ye. Um, and that one also was this. It was the same structure, a hundred, about 100 children. Each orphanage has um, a school where we bring in about 200 um, area children to also, that way it keeps our kids socialized, it keeps them in the culture, but it also brings in non-believers so they can hear the gospel every day at at school. Um, So each compound has a medical facility, a church, an orphanage um, where the children live, a place where the women can cook, and... um, a school. And um, so we did two full compounds. Then we saw the need that our older children um, were getting too old uh, for the primary school. And so we um, actually, Bishop came to us and said, hey, I think that we could facilitate another, a third orphanage here for the older kids based out of our church. And so we built like a little mini version there in Yay, and it holds, uh, has the secondary school. It has, um, and, and so any kid that graduates from the primary schools from either of the two orphanages then go into Yay. And in Yay, they're cared for by the, you know, people from the church. It's really great because they also get to be um, in direct contact with the teams that come in that we send so that it's a really fun one because it's older kids and you can really interact with them. And so um, at that point, we realized that we were getting close to the seven-year peace agreement, and we needed to know that they could be sustained. And um, without our monetary support going in in case borders closed down and such, and so we brainstormed with Bishop and some church leaders there, and we came up with uh, a trucking company. Bishop named it Lion of Judah Trucking Company, and um, so for each orphanage, we buy one truck, and we have it licensed in Kenya and in Uganda and in Sudan, and that way if any borders close down, the business keeps going. And in one year, one truck will generate the same amount, the same cost that it would take to run that orphanage. So uh, for every orphanage we build now, we buy one truck. We 
Um, we had a couple donors really believe in it, and they upped the front cost for an extra truck. So, like, if there's, we always have one extra truck. If one breaks down, the other one goes, because in Sudan, you can't just, I mean, it could be <laughs> months before you get back to your truck <laughs> to fix it. So, um, we always have to have one extra. And so, um, we are coming up on the peace agreement vote, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a second. And um, all of the orphanage so far have a truck. They're totally sustained on their own. We just sent the very last um, check earlier this year to sustain all three of them. So that was a very exciting day for us. That's awesome. Um, Lately, we've been seeing Sudan in the news a lot. Talk a little bit about that and the upcoming vote that's going to be happening. Um, This is, uh, like, endless. So if you are interested, (laughs) just Google um, but I'll give you the cliff note version. Basically, Sudan has been warring all the way, I mean, technically, for 18 years. Um, and then in 2004, they did a seven-year peace agreement. And so in January, they're going to have a vote as to whether the S- southern Sudan is going to secede and become its own country. Um <laughs> Experts say that they're going to secede whether the vote goes through or not. So basically what it is now is if they're going to do it peacefully or warringly. Um, So we obviously are praying for peace. And um, so the vote's in January, early January, January 9th. And um, there's so much more I could say about it, I guess. Uh, the the north is predominantly predominantly Arab, and the the south is not. Uh, um, they're African dark skin, um, so there's also lots of animosity towards that. But mainly, it's over resources. The very center of Sudan, uh, just below the desertish area, there's mountains and um, beautiful plush land. There's oil, diamonds, gold, you name it, it's there. Right now, the borderline is directly above it to where all of that would go to the south, um, which would be amazing because over those 18 years, it was basically, actually, they just declared it a long genocide. So the north was trying to kill off the south slowly. Um, That's what you see, you know, on TV with the kids who are skinny. You know, there's just no food. There's nothing because the north was drawing all those resources and sending the money um, to the capital in Khartoum. And so, um, basically, the South, if you ask the leaders, they really don't care about the resources. They really care about separating themselves from Sharia law, which is Muslim rule. Um, They would love to have the resources, you know. So what a lot of people right now are trying to decide if maybe we could move the borderline to where it was half and half, if that would cause more animosity, if there would be tribal wars. I mean... This country, for as all the way back to the scriptures, I mean, it, if you want to look, Kush is the area in the Bible that's also Sudan. And so, I mean, it, it, it's just generational sin of unrest. They just don't know anything else. And so they look for conflict. Um, but the Lord has done so much in seven years in the South through the church. It's just awesome. And so there's this rally of believers who want peace 
and want their country to succeed and they want um, growth in their country and they want the Lord's name to be known. And so we're just praying towards that. There are some things you can do as an American citizen. You can lobby. You can write your um, congressman, tell him we, you want them to support the Sudan envoy. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. You just email us, we'll tell you. Um, there's tons of things you can do before January to get the word out so that the U.S. could step in and say, we want this to go down peacefully. So, um, You'd mentioned that recently you guys had changed from his voice for Sudan to his voice global, and you're doing some other work. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. Um, well, once we sent... Once we knew on paper that that last check was going out and it was going to be sustained, we just began to pray that the Lord would allow for the vision that we originally had, that this would be happening everywhere. There'd be his voice for, you know, Malaysia, his voice for wherever you name it. We were hoping that the Lord would take it that direction. And um, in at the beginning of the year, the, our board of... Um, our board members voted that we could go global. And in that, we sent a team to India, um, to Kolkata, to work in the um, train stations where there's lots of, um, there's gang activity. And basically the gangs train the children, the street children to um, proselytize themselves uh, for sex trade, for, I mean, anything they need, they'll teach them to do it, pay them money, and that's how they live. And so we, when we were there, we found out there's already ministries. That's what we love to do is connect with other churches there. We found out there's a group of believers there that are saving those kids out and bringing them in their homes. And so when we came, when Vern and Justin came back, we started praying through how we could support that. And so our board voted that we would um, begin to be the main supporters of, of one of the homes and that allowed them to go get more kids. So they have um, nine boys living in their home right now in India that they've saved out of that. And the the uh, there's so much more that can that can go on there. And so right now we're praying through um, asking different churches here to want to partner with the churches there or people there to to like support their home. You know, um, our heart is to connect the body here with body around the world so that you can see that the Christ is all everywhere. Awesome. What are some ways that we specifically can be praying um, for you guys um, as well as practical ways that we can partner um, and support the work that you guys are doing? Okay. Um, well, prayer right now, we are in the process of um raising support for the fourth orphanage and we as we prayed towards the fourth orphanage we were like we just got this one sustained does the lord really want us to do a fourth right before the vote you know there was just all these things and we all just felt like yes the lord said do this you do this and so we went forward with it um which is about a two hundred fifty thousand dollar commitment after you buy the truck the land and all the facilities which really isn't that much money if you think of it's it's a school it's a medical facility it's a church um it's uh it's an orphanage and uh, something to sustain it for the rest of their life but to us we're like how are we going to raise two hundred fifty thousand? and so um but so you can just pray our prayer has been kind of you know exciting and big we we would love for all the money to come in before the vote so no matter how it goes, we don't have to worry about 
taking the money through Kenya or something, you know, we're willing to do all that, but we're just like begging the Lord. And, and honestly, this next month, the, we just see how we've seen so many people raise up and say, I got an idea. I have an idea. And we say, do it. Just run with it and do it. If money comes in, awesome. If not, people know about Sudan and know about the Lord. So, um, Prayer-wise, just this next month, asking the Lord to just rock us with, you know, this amount of money. That seems crazy, but because we really only started um, raising for the fourth orphanage about three months ago, technically. <laughs> so uh, that's, a, that's a big prayer. Um, prayer that the vote, obviously, would go well in Sudan. Um, protection over the children as the vote comes that not necessarily our kids in the orphanage but all the kids that didn't get to come to the orphanage they're still on the streets and they're going to be asked to join a join us like be a soldier they're going to be asked um all these things so just prayer that the body there would bring their you know bring the children into their homes that they the children that are on the streets would feel safe um and have you know comfort in it but I'd say our, our number one um, prayer is just that the gospel would just penetrate the hearts of the people in Sudan and change that generational sin, that the Lord would, um, you know, let for generations to come there be peace um, and rest there. And then for the India side, um, we're working with a church uh, heavily in Baton Rouge who stepped up to take care of the first uh, a voice home, and that's really exciting. Um, they're taking their first trip in January, at the end of January, to meet the kids and just kind of be there, and just that that would go well, and the Lord would continue to move there. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, last question. Um, I think it's easy as we sit out here and we look at kind of all that God's done. Um, you know, in your description of over the past 10 years, um, it's easy to see, wow, such massive kingdom impact and to be an individual here and feel like I can never have that type of impact. Um, What encouragement might you give to us, um, you know, as you guys continue your work, but you also say just encouraging words to us to go out and engage the lost in, in our everyday environment to where God's called us here. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, those of you, I, a lot of y'all know me. Um, and if I was sitting with you one-on-one and you said that to me, that you didn't feel like, wow, that's so good, and, and I don't feel like I can have an impact here like that, I would say that's a lie from the enemy, and he wants you to believe it. He wants you to believe it big time for North County. He wants you to believe that Sudan is more of a ministry um, so that you're not effective here. And it's just not true. And we together have to believe that it is true that God has called you to live in North County. You are here for this moment. And he knew before the beginning of time that you'd be here and be in the job that you have and in the situation that you have. Um, He knew that and he predestined that. And you can either be faithful with it or you can sit around and go, oh, wow, look what those people are doing. So at my, I, don't, I hope that doesn't sound rude, um, but honestly, the scripture, so many places teach us, um, Jesus taught us that um, there's really two kinds of people, and that's the walking living and the walking dead, and we have to look around and 
you know, share Christ with the walking living and with the walking dead. If that's in Sudan, awesome. If that's your child at home, awesome. Do that and be faithful with it, and God will bless you for that. I think um, it's easy to see these kids and think, oh, they've been saved out of the, the, you know, they've been saved and out of this awful situation, but honestly, like, if you believe in total depravity, which I know is taught here, we're all in that situation spiritually. We're all hurting and alone and separated from God. Your your little children, your your stay-at-home moms, you are taking care of children who are lost every day, and your your job is to draw them in, to tell them about Jesus, love them. People who are work in your workplace, they don't know Jesus, and they are like these children. They're, they are separated. They're lonely. They're poor. It might be spiritually. They might have a lot of money, but they're poor and needy, and you have what they need. And so go out and tell them, and um, don't, don't let what it looks like that they have everything make you think they don't have a need. Usually those people have the biggest need. That's good. Um, well, Amber will be in the back at, um, after the service if you want to talk with her further about what they're doing and ways you can possibly engage and support them. But let me pray real quick before we uh, uh, transition. Father, I thank you so much for uh, your son and his sacrifice on the cross. I thank you for, God, what you're doing, God, all across the world. I thank you for what you're doing here in North County. God, I thank you for the ministry of his voice and God, we pray that you would bless Vernon and Amber and their family. We pray that you would bless uh, their work, their efforts for your kingdom. God, we pray for peace in Sudan as uh, this upcoming vote takes place. Father, we pray for wisdom um, for this ministry as they continue their work in the midst of this, as they raise funds for a fourth orphanage. God, we pray your provision over, over all of these things. And God, I pray that we'd be encouraged by the words that were shared this morning and would be encouraged to go out and uh, engage the, the, the orphans and the widows um, and those that are desperately in need of, of you here in our own city. Um, God, we bless you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. So I hope that you guys see the, the big picture of what's, of what's happening here. We have just last week, we highlighted Ryan and Jamie and the mission work that they're doing and their missionaries uh, to a college campus in Colorado and now Vernon and Amber and all the stuff that's happening with his voice as they're missionaries uh, to the Sudan and, and even missionaries to our hearts is the last question that she answered there is missionaries to us here and now. Um, to go and be missionaries here in our culture. And, and the, the thing that, that is really easy for us to do in Christ, at Christmas time is to be really self-centered and really self-focused. And the, the purpose is Mike and Dave and I have talked about this Advent series is to get our minds off of ourselves and onto the mission that God has called us to. Um, and so we, we're highlighting a missionary to, to, to help us to see that and see how they're doing that in a particular context. And then we're going to look now in just a second uh, at, at Christ and how he was the ultimate missionary coming to bring the ultimate 
mission project here to this earth and uh, connect our hearts with those two things and, and hopefully that begins to encourage us in this season to get our minds off of ourselves and onto what it is that God has called us to. Uh, so if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 2. We're just going to be real quick this morning. Um, very intentional about spending a lot of time with the missionary that we're highlighting so you know exactly what's going on with their ministry. And I really also want to encourage you, Dave mentioned it, but Amber will be in the back talking about, uh, would love to just sit and talk to you about more how you can get connected with His Voice Global and uh, praying, giving, going, uh, whatever, all those things we would love for you to get connected with. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to talk about joy this morning. There are four different themes for the Advent season and Advent series. Uh, Last week, Dave talked about hope, and this week I'm going to talk about joy. And so before we get into that, I I just wanted to give us a working definition of what joy is and how Christ came to bring joy to to this world. Um, And I'll say joy to the world a lot, and that song will probably hum in your head for the rest of the day. Um, We're going to sing it here in a second, too. Uh, but I want to give us a working definition of what, what joy is, because joy is a very religious-sounding word. If you go into, like, work tomorrow and say, hey, man, it was a really joyful day, people are going to be like, what? Like, kind of look at you uh, weird. Like, so it's kind of a religious word. So I, and to, and I, I never want to just end on a religious word. Let's define what we mean when we say joy. And Christ came to bring joy to the world. So what is it? When we say that, when we sing joy to the world, what, what, what are we saying happened? What, uh, what are we saying, what came to the world in joy? And so, so joy, is, as I've kind of defined it here, is a contented exuberance. And I'll, I'll land on that phrase and break this down here in just a second. There's three sentences here, and we'll kind of break down each one of the sentences. Joy is a contented exuberance brought about by an intimate current and future relation with God. This contented exuberance, we can, it's, an, it's brought about by an intimate current relationship that we have with God. And, and the, it's not relationship, I'm sorry, it's relation. So interaction that we have with God brings joy. And we experience that currently, and we also experience that in the future. We'll, it's it's a, a current and future relation that, that comes to bring this contented exuberance. The second sentence here. This is what Jesus brought to this earth when he came on Christmas. It is what we know in part now and will in full when he comes again. So let's, let's spend a couple of minutes breaking these sentences down. And just the next, just a little bit, we'll be very quick, I promise. Uh, the first one, joy is contented exuberance brought about by an intimate current and future relation with God. So let's examine this, this phrase, contented exuberance. And it's uh, really sort of two ideas, this contentment and exuberance, all right? And when this contentment is this, this deep-seated, I don't care what happens to me, I don't care what happens to, to this relationship, I don't care what happens on this planet, sort of contentment. I am, I'm here, and whatever happens is cool with me. And uh, I've, I've used this illustration before. I don't think I've used it at, at North Church, but uh, a lot of you guys know about what I'm going to say, but there's a, there's a movie that was out a few years ago called Titanic, which is, um, a lot of you women probably think it's one of the best movies of all time, and it's just great, I love it, and a lot of you guys are like, man, if that's on, I'm going to break my TV. I'm, I fall in that category. It was quite possibly the worst movie of all time in my mind. However, however, there is redemption in everything, 
There is redemption in this worst movie of all time. And the redemption is two images that I want to bring our minds to to, to help us to connect with what it means to be have this contented exuberance, what it means to have real, true joy. Uh, and the first one is, as the ship is going down, it's like, it's going to happen, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down, and people are fighting each other to get into lifeboat, life, lifeboats, and there's, you know, we don't want to die in this icy lake, and, and all this is happening. And there's this, this older couple that's there, and, and you see them just, they're on screen for about five seconds. You guys remember what I'm talking about? They're like in a, in a cabin, like down below, and, and they just... They just cuddle into each other and fire that image up there, Kyle. That's that's actually a screenshot of of them. One of the like one of the five seconds that they're up there is this couple just being content to die together. And as you, as you look at them, the, the image isn't great, but as you you look at them, connect with with the contentment that's in their hearts, that's in their lives, that we have lived probably 50, 60 years of life being married together, and, and probably they're running through memories of, of their wedding day or memories of, of just being alive. And, and as I was researching, trying to find this image, I found out that this is actually a real couple. We, can, we know their names. It's like Ida and Kyle or something. I don't know. This, they're the Strausses. Mr. and Mrs. Strauss is who they are. And we can look at them historically, and we know their story. And I didn't. I just thought it was a dramatic moment that they decided to put in the, in the film. But these are real people looking back and just being content when there's chaos around them, when there's sin around them, when there's death, when there's, I'm going to fight people to stay alive, and I'm gonna, you're going to, in effect, die so that I can get in this lifeboat. When all this chaos is happening in the world, and Amber just talked about a lot of chaos that's going on in the world and a lot of the contentment that's going on in the Sudan amid this awful chaos. And we can look around our world and see a lot of chaos happening. Joy is contentment to this degree. I don't care what's happening. I'm content to be in the relationship with you that you've given to me. A current and future relation with God. That's contentment. But it's also exuberance. It is heart-pounding, edge-of-your-seat, fast. This is the most fantastic thing I've ever experienced in my life. Hit that next image. And this is the one I like to make fun of. Oh, Leo. This is, the one I, this is why this movie, if we had just centered on the Strausses and just the, the tragedy that was there, instead of this, I've fallen in love with you and I'm going to abandon all of my life and I met you five minutes ago, sort of like love, that's why this movie is, is horrible. Uh, but it's redeemed with this beautiful picture of this contented exuberance. These two just met each other, and all that they're consumed with, they don't care. There's death happening everywhere, and there's the, you know, the wrong side of the tracks and the right side of the tracks, and they're crossing social economic deals and whatever, but all they want to do is spend every single moment with each other. I don't care about my world. I don't care about your world. I just want to be with you. And there's this this sort of passionate excitement, heart pounding. I just, when she walks in the room, I'm just excited and nothing is better than spending time with you. That sort of exuberance that's here. And Joy marries Kate and Leo and the Strausses together in this contented exuberance. And, and the beautiful thing is this is our working definition of what joy is. And now we, we move into 
the, a, a verse that I want to read here. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. The angel said to them, Fear not. This is the angel talking to the shepherds on the hillside. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Good news. Replace that with the gospel. That's what we're, we're always talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. The angel comes and says, Behold, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you the gospel. Here is the gospel. I want you to know and appreciate and understand the gospel. And it's great joy, contented exuberance. This, and it's not just, con- it's great joy. It's intense We haven't yet experienced the greatness of of this real contentment. And we haven't yet experienced the greatness of this exuberance that come together to bring this joy to this planet. And here it is, announcing, this angel is announcing this, this great, intense, contented exuberance for these people. And it's the good news. Verse 11, for unto you... This is a really familiar verse. Don't, don't pass up the, the simple phrases that are here. This extreme joy for all the people, for unto you is born today. Unto you. It's, it's not just for the people in the Sudan. It's not just for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I've been praying a lot this week for these moments in this message. And, and we, all that's happening today, the Amber and, and Dave's interview, this message, all the songs are for, to bring us to a train wreck of worship of a holy and perfect God. And, and this has to bring us to, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Savior here means one who rescues from danger. The good news is somebody is here to rescue you from danger. We can real easy connect with the danger that's in the Sudan. There are children that are being recruited to fight in these wars and die for somebody else's cause without the gospel, without the good news of Christ. There is a serious danger imminent in their lives. For us, we don't recognize it so much, but there is a serious danger that's trying to attack us and rob us of the gospel. But the Savior is here to rescue us, one who rescues from danger. And Christ means the long-awaited, holy, anointed one of God. So this is the long-awaited rescuer that's, that's happening here. Um, some of you guys know when I was in college, I uh, I worked for Channel Two in the in their sports department for work for the TV station, and uh, I really, really, really wanted to be like a, a TV sports guy, right? Announcing this the sports news and like working for ESPN or something. And uh, so I worked for like a year and a half. The last semester of college and the first year out of college, I, I worked for Channel Two in their sports department. Eventually, kind of led into an assistant producer role. And and one night, the the Blues. I don't know if you guys know much history of the Blues. They've never won the Stanley Cup, um, and they've, it's been like 30 years, and they've never won the Stanley Cup, and, it, and like, there are some really hardcore Blues fans in the St. Louis area, and, and they, uh, it's really intense, and so for them, it's a, a big deal if we would ever get close to winning the Stanley Cup. It's, uh, it's, it's a huge thing. So, this, we, 
the Blues make a trade for a guy, and he's kind of in, in hiding, and, and nobody's been up. He's like really confused about, you know, how can I have to root up my family and go back to a city and all these things. And, and so he's like in hiding, and nobody is knowing if he's even going to report to St. Louis. But he's this really good player, and there's this great hope and anticipation that he's going to be the one to bring the Stanley Cup. We've got a really good team, and adding him is going to be this, this really big deal. And, and if we add him, you know, we might be we might win the Stanley Cup. So he is the, the long-awaited rescuer of the St. Louis Blues and the whole city of St. Louis. And I'm trying to make a name for myself at Channel 2 and within the, the, the media of St. Louis. And so I'm working really hard at word is that he's, he's actually, the Blues have a game this night, and word is that he's actually in the arena somewhere. And the whole St. Louis area really wants to hear from him. Tell me what, what's going on. Are you going to play for us or not? And so I'm like running around all over the arena, all over like the, the underpinnings of the arena, like beneath the rink, beneath the, the, all that stuff that's happening. I'm running around trying to, and, and I find a guy who knows where he is, and I'm like, dude, let me, please let me talk to him. And so he lets me talk to him. And so it's, it's like ridiculous. There's no way some dumb 22-year-old is going to get to be able to talk to, to this guy. And so I get to talk to him. I interview him for like five minutes and, and take the, the my, I have like a, a photographer with a camera and I take the camera, or I take the, the tape out of the camera and Channel 2 happens to be like three blocks from the arena, the old arena. And so I take this tape and people are like, you know, thousands of people are coming to the arena. So there's all kinds of traffic coming in. And I'm like, I'm sprinting up like the driveway coming into the arena and take it in. And literally like seven minutes after I asked the last question, he said the last word, it was on our air, like Channel 2's air to the whole city. Like the long-awaited rescuer is here. And it was, it was a huge, huge deal. The, the guy who, Mark Curtis was the, the Channel 2 sports guy at that point. He runs in, gives me this big high five, and it's this huge deal. And it was, it was really big. And, and I say that story because the whole city was in great anticipation of what this guy was going to bring to St. Louis. And here, in this context, this angel gets to be the one to, to speak the words that this great missionary is coming to bring this great thing to our world, uh, which kind of helps me to, to transition into the second part of, this, of our definition. This is what Jesus, this contented exuberance, is what Jesus brought to this earth when he came on Christmas. Uh, you guys are sitting in chairs right now, and you're looking towards the front, and you see these the music stuff set up and the sound stuff set up and, and the screen and those are projector behind the screen and all that stuff behind you. At 8 o'clock every Sunday, Travis leads a team of people that come in and sets all this stuff up. And if they didn't do that, we wouldn't have chairs to sit in. We wouldn't have the sound and all this stuff up here. We wouldn't be able to experience all of that happens on a Sunday morning. But because Travis sees it as his mission to to guide and direct and, and equip and, and, and call people to come and help and do all the stuff that's, that's happening here. Because he sees it as his mission, we get to enjoy the fruit of, of his labor. We get to sit in chairs and hear what's being said and, and, and the screen gets to be up there and, and all, the, all that stuff. We get to enjoy that mission. His voice saw a need in Sudan and, and uh, Vern was, was going over there and, and saw this need and, and began to connect with people. And we, can, we could all get on a plane today and, and fly near the Sudan and make it to the Sudan, make it to these orphanages and see the tangible buildings that are there ministering to these people. And, and it's easy to see mission 
people seeing a mission in their life and going and acting on that mission. Here, Christ, Travis is a missionary to, to put these chairs here. Vern and Amber are missionaries to build orphanages in the Sudan. Christ is a missionary to come and bring joy into our world, a contented exuberance into our world. And it's, a, it's an unbelievable, beautiful thing. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate this joy. Stop this week and, and think and enjoy the greatness of this contented exuberance, but understand that Christ was in heaven and he came to this earth as a missionary to bring joy. Travis is a missionary to bring chairs. His voice is a missionary to build orphanages. Christ is a missionary to bring joy to your life. And I, I want us to connect with, with the power of that. Then the, the third thing here. It is what we know in part now and will in full when He comes again. As we connect with the story of Jesus coming and bringing joy to our world as a missionary, I want us to, to breathe in deep this knowledge that what we know in part now we'll know in full when He comes again. We are affected on this planet by darkness, by sin, by war, by hate, by pain, by strife. All of these things affect our lives. We're broken people doing broken things, rubbing up against other broken people. Amber talked about, and you can, you can go online and, and read the, just the, the atrocity that's happening in the Sudan, and it's darkness, but there's joy that's happening there. We can look around our world and see the atrocity and just the, the darkness that's here. Broken relationships everywhere. And I know I'm experiencing that, and you guys are experiencing just dark, broken relationships, which affect our ability to, to in, engage in the purity of the joy that Christ came to bring. But the truth is that what we know in part now that is joy we can probably, if I were to sit down with you, you could probably tell me a, a, a place in your life where you really experience joy. I asked a bunch of people this question this week. What brings you joy? Stuff like my family, uh, stuff like the birth of a child, um, stuff like uh, just holding the hand of my wife. Um, one guy said, the greatest thing that gives me joy is that I know this life can't give me the joy that I'm going to have. And that's the contented exuberance that he feels. And if we can experience that joy to some degree now, we will experience it to a pure degree later. When Christ comes again, or when we're in heaven face-to-face -face with a holy God, we will be affected by only good. Darkness is gone. It's, it's a thing of the past. Here on this planet, we will experience joy tainted with the sin and darkness that's a part of this world. I want to leave you with, with one, one verse. John 14, verses 2 and 3. Christ is talking. And I don't want you to see this so much as a verse and more of, a, of Jesus talking to you. Breathe it in deep. This is 
the long-awaited Savior, the long-awaited Rescuer talking to you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Also, 